That's a lot. Did you write that out or did you just read? You just made that up. (laughs) That was incredible. Hi, and welcome to the episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brand Sparks, and here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. On today's episode, we continue our month-long discussion on film noir. Now, I don't have Thomas with me today, but I do have another Atlanta resident with me. I'd like to welcome back Hunter Barcroft to the show. I'm back, baby. You can't get rid of me. Haven't been on in years, two months in a row. I'm loving it. I like, I like being back. Plus, I... Uh... It's nice to watch stuff that I've never watched before and talk about yeah. things I've never seen, which is uh, new for me because usually I was just regurgitating my thoughts on the Snyder, the Snyderverse. So this is new. Talking about noir. Yeah. Film. Yeah. So like, what? So had you seen a lot of film noir before today's movie? Um, I had seen some, not a ton. What I had seen had been in my uh, film theory class in undergrad with the goat, Jeremy Butler. Well, honestly, like one of my favorite <laughs> film professors that I had. But um, he had shown us some in class. Other than that, not really. My, I've seen my grandmother watching some when I would go see my grandma. Yeah, yeah. Um, she would have some on TV that she'd be like, oh, I just can't stand the ending of this movie. It makes me so <laughs> sad. And I was just like, why do you watch it? But I like them. I've never not liked them. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, it's, well, there's been a big appreciation the past few years. It's been kind of going on for the past few decades. But I think now, weirdly, what became noir vember for for november that started a few years ago of just like the appreciation of a film noir and and has become a big influence kind of on uh modern filmmakers i know like i mean i feel like if you don't have film noir and like the detective style movies you don't have people like the coen brothers and and even even nolan to an extent like memento and his early films are very much uh noir inspired but yeah, yeah, and so like when talking about noir for no, no, noir vember, just to give a brief recap to everyone of what we kind of talked about, uh, we talked about how visually film noir was inspired by German expressionism with its striking black and white cinematography and heavy shadows, stark lighting, and noir was also a reaction to America's involvement in World War II. Specifically, noir dealt with the issues of what was like being an American after seeing so much kind of violence and human despair during world war ii and kind of the peak of noir the main period between the end of world war ii and early 1950s was considered that peak um which i believe probably again coincided with the pessimism that many americans had coming out of the war and and for today we're talking about a somewhat underseen underseen film noir that kind of goes with that idea um and it slowly gained recognition over time within like the the hardcore noir community. And that film is the 1949 film too late for tears and too late for tears is about a ruthless woman who stumbles into kind of a twisty plot when a suitcase with $60,000 gets tossed into the car that she and her husband are driving up on Mulholland drive in Los Angeles and uh, too late for tears stars Elizabeth Scott in the lead role. Who's kind of a noir noir favorite and also stars, uh, Dan Duryea, Arthur Kennedy, Don DeFore, and Christine Miller. And like I said, Elizabeth Scott's the big name out of this bunch because she made around 15 noir films for a relatively short career. Um, but we'll talk about that later. And the film was also directed by Byron Haskin, written by Roy Huggins, and produced by Hunt Stromberg, three players that are going to be big in the, the making of this movie. So, Hunter, what were your thoughts on Too Late for Tears? I immediately did not like the lead actress turns out 
she's like very much just the lead all the way through. So you kind of like if you don't really like her, I did. I did warm up to her okay. eventually, mostly because I think I just got used to her performance after a while. But at first it was just like, uh, I don't know if this is for me, but I got used to it and I ended up not totally disliking it in the end, okay. but it definitely okay. was a rocky start. Also, shout out to uh, Amazon Prime for definitely having the worst version of this film. <laughs> uh, the, like, I watched it on a 4K TV, and it looked like I just ripped it, like it from some dude in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> like, it was so bad. Yeah, but, I was. Uh, you told me like the Canopy one's really good. So, if you yeah. want to watch this movie, go watch it on Canopy because the Amazon Prime one is garbage. Yeah, and we'll sure. talk about that a little bit later. But like, yeah, basically, there was a lot of public domain versions of this movie. And Amazon Prime is notorious for like with these old kind of noir films, buying the cheap I mean, getting the cheap public domain versions of it. So they don't look great. And Too Late for Tears had a pretty big restoration um, about five to six years ago from the UCLA Film Archive or Film and Television Archive and the Film Noir Foundation, which we'll talk about later a little bit of how it kind of came about because it got lost to time, basically um and so because of that it's like too late for tears on amazon prime is kind of a, just a, a a garbage like it looks almost like a vhs transfer and yeah, so it's pretty the, bad the big thing is like when it's like because there's some there's some pretty nice like uh some pretty great cinematography of like la at night and on amazon prime version it's probably just like a black screen because like you don't see any of the detail from yeah. it so so hunter I'm, I'm very literally blocks there's blocks <laughs> yeah. of black so, and i was like yeah. i was like is my i was like is my internet that bad i was like is it buffering turns out it's not it's just the cut of the yeah. on Amazon. so Park. if you want to see like a so, uh, hunter if you want to go see a, a few clips of like like the scenes when they're in like the boat and stuff yeah like it, it, that's uh, the it one pop, that i couldn't see yeah it pops a lot more in the restored version um, i was honestly i was like man they really cheaped out on these scenes they're just not showing <laughs> anything they're like oh they're in a boat but you don't get to see what's outside the boat yeah, so yeah. that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, and because I, I think when they're when they're running when they're when they're driving away and hiding from the thief at the beginning of the movie, when they when they get the money, they're like passing like Grauman's Chinese Theater. So it is like kind of a, a little time capsule of Los Angeles in the late 1940s. But if you watch the Amazon Prime version, <laughs> you don't see any of that. <laughs> There's one scene that wasn't bad, and I remember being like, "Oh wow, that actually looks pretty good." They're sitting in front of a window. And the window behind them, it's pretty early on. The window behind them, you can see Los Angeles in the background. Yeah. And like it for for that time period looked great. I was like, wow, that's a pretty good backdrop. Yeah. Wow. You really did it. But that was the only time that I ever felt that way. And weirdly, you're talking about backdrop, because that was probably shot rear projection. That's not coming to yeah. play, actually, uh, in a few minutes. It looked good. It um looked good. But yeah, so but yeah, so if you're gonna stream this movie, preferably stream it on Canopy. I believe uh, Mubi also has a version of this where it might be the restored version. It's really kind of in a lot of places. I think it's on Epics uh, or Epics or whatever it's called, and even I think like one online site, kind of like the Detective, uh, some like Detective Channel or something. But usually, I would say. At the beginning of the movie, it'll usually show like a UCLA film and TV archive kind of uh, restoration clip. If you don't see that and it just starts with the credits, get out as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wish in hindsight that I would have asked in advance. Well, I I thought it was on Prime. I thought I checked like months ago just for some reason to see. And it was and I don't know if, if it was never there and I just made it up or what. But 
but yeah, I'm sorry, Hunter. But hopefully, no, it's all good. I still, I still watch though. I do. So, yeah, some stuff, and we'll talk about it later. Some stuff isn't doesn't fully like uh, improve with the restored version. Some of the sets are a little wonky. But we'll talk about that. But yeah, so Too Late for Tears is one of those rare noir films that is told from the perspective of the femme fatale. And as we've talked about before, it's like the femme fatale is kind of a big reoccurring theme in noir films that along with things like the MacGuffin, which is kind of the, the, the object or thing that motivates the main characters in the story. But reality has nothing to do, no no, no purpose really. It's just like a bag of money, which is prominent in this film. Um, But what makes, Elizabeth Scott's very different from many of the other noir femme fatales. And what makes her character, Jane Palmer, in this movie so unique uh, is because she's not a nightclub singer. She's not a con woman. She's not some, like, criminal. She's a young wife. uh, Or she's a young housewife. (laughs) She is a regular American housewife that shows that she can be as cutthroat as any vicious criminal when yeah, money's she's, she's, she looks like your regular old young housewife, but she's not your regular young housewife at all. Not at all. And so at the time, like it, it really, femme fatales and noir were kind of made to represent the fears of men who were coming back from World War II. Like women had gained more independence. They were they were, they were working. They weren't just staying at home, and men did not know how to react to that. And so like. Jane Palmer is kind of a character that is like the ultimate nightmare of a man coming home from uh war I guess you'd say is that she's like she it's it, it's interesting I, I think they uh they toned because it's based on a novel we'll get into that soon uh and they toned down some of her quote unquote psychotic behavior and in turn she just be, kind of becomes obsessed with greed which is very prominent in noir films but usually it's the male perspective of it. it's a male character. That's that, that version. Um, very few, I mean, an example that pops up that's very similar to this is a uh, Barbara Stanwyck and double indemnity. Um, but yeah, that's, what's very unique is because even though she is a femme fatale, she is a housewife and that's what makes this film so unique from the other noir films of the era. Yeah. So history of how it got made. Uh, I'm going to give you kind of the major players and what they were like before this film. The film is based on a novel by Roy Huggins Huggins studied as an engineer before he became a writer. And a major reason why he became a writer was because he was inspired by the works of Raymond Chandler, who we talked about previously this month uh, in Murder, My Sweet. And Huggins ended up writing, I believe, three crime novels, one of which was Too Late for Tears. Uh, One of his other novels titled I Love Trouble was made in 1948 by Columbia Pictures. And then Too Late for Tears was the second novel that he wrote. It went through multiple name changes. Uh, Huggins initially tiled the story Break the Wild Wind. That's a terrible name. Terrible title. Like, that's and, really, and, really bad. Yeah, 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 it doesn't have anything to do with the movie. It, yeah, it, sound, it sounds like it's supposed to be like a, 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 like a Western. Break yeah, the Wild does. Wind. Yeah. That's awful. <laughs> An editor at the publishing house retitled it Nothing But the Night. I mean, if you're watching on Amazon Prime, that's... <laughs> That's a believable title. Yeah. That's what it is. Then it was published in a serial form in April of 1947 in the American magazine, The Saturday Evening Post. It became titled Too Late for Tears. It was finally released as a novel in July 1947. And the the book is very reminiscent of the story is very reminiscent, re, very reminiscent of stories of James Kane, who wrote the novels for The Postman Always Rings Twice and Double Indemnity, two films and novels about marital affairs 
and how money gets in the way. After the novel was released, the film rights kind of traveled around Hollywood for a bit before landing with producer Hunt Stromberg. And Stromberg produced one of my favorite films of all time, The Thin Man, uh, and its sequels that starred William Powell and Merle Loy's, Loy in the 1930s and 50s. And it was kind of a detective series that predates the traditional film noir movement. Stromberg also won an Oscar for producing the 1936 film, The Great Zigfield, also starring Powell and Loy. Um, but in the 1940s, Stromberg was producing smaller budgeted crime pictures that would later be referred to as noir films. One example is a movie called Lured, starring a pre-I Love Lucy, Lucille Ball, in a noir. She did a couple of noir films before she got big in comedy. I didn't know um, that. Yeah. So Huggins would eventually write the script for the film. And I said he toned down the, the character of Jane Palmer. Byron Haskin was brought on to direct the film. And he had an interesting career up to this point. He had started off as a cinematographer and director during the silent film era. And then once talkies came in, Haskin began working as a special effects artist, receiving a couple Oscar nominations in the process. He received a special achievement Oscar for helping develop one of the, the first rear projection systems that was used for effects cinematography. Well, okay then. So, that is important. So That's still important <laughs> to this day. Yeah, so, th so the backgrounds you see kind of, I, I don't know if he was the first one, but he was one of the big ones that kind of did one of the Mastered first big it. systems. For, yeah. Uh, he worked on such films as Humphrey Bogart, the Humphrey Bogart vehicle High Sierra, which we talked about way back on our heist episode a few few years ago, and the Errol Flynn swashbuckling vehicle, the Seahawk, which we also talked about in our swashbuckling episode. Um, he later started directing in the mid-40s with a few noir films, one of which became Too Late for Tears. Um, the next few players, Elizabeth Scott was cast in the lead role of Jane Palmer after the budget for Too Late for Tears was, was trimmed down. It was initially supposed to be a higher budget film with major A-list actors at the time. And Scott was having a little bit of a hot streak with noir films at the time, starring opposite actors like Humphrey Bogart, Barbara Stanwyck, Kirk Douglas, Burt Lancaster, and Dick Powell. Um... And since we were we were in still in the golden age of Hollywood at this time, many actors and actresses and directors were under contract to either studios or major producers. And Elizabeth Scott, um, actress Christine Miller, and actor uh, Don DeFore and director Byron Haskin were on loan to Stromberg for the film from Oscar-winning producer Hal B. Wallace, who had produced such films as Casablanca, The Adventures of Robin Hood, and The Maltese Falcon. And that's how it all came together. <laughs> That's crazy. That's, that's insane. That's a lot. Did you write that out or did you just did. read? You I, just made write... that up. That was incredible. <laughs> You're like, and then, uh, I don't know, Brian and then this happened, and, uh, you know, and then this happened and then, uh, they loaned her out to, uh, this guy and <laughs> he came up with rear projection systems. And, uh, here we are. It was, this one was hard because it was incredible. so, uh, <laughs> thank you. It's such a lesser known movie. It's like, there's not easy access to, I'm surprised it's lesser known, in all honesty. I am yeah. surprised it's lesser known, mostly because it's very different than most noir films I've seen. Yeah. Um, and I honestly, yeah, I'm kind of surprised that I wasn't made to watch it in, in Butler's class. Yeah. Because it's, it's really interesting. The, her character is really interesting in Way Before yeah, It's Time. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like she, you usually don't see at this point like a, a, I don't want to say like in this a negative way because like oh the female's the the bad <clears throat> character in the movie but like it it feels very different and all, and maybe empowering for the time I don't know like you don't see like a main <sighs> female I don't know if empowering's the right word but like it's it's different 
it's different. It's different. You don't, you don't and they see took a, a risk. Yeah. They took a risk with it. But the thing that I would hesitate to say it's empowering is because if you look at the, the movie felt oh, yeah, like yeah. poster for this, it's her getting slapped, dude. Okay. okay. It's not okay. empowering. Like, it is, like, very... There's scenes in this where I was like, ooh, they couldn't do this today. This is bad. That's, that's but, fair. Like, but that being said, they do something with her character that I'd never thought that I would see in a noir film from that time period at all. Yeah. Well, since since you brought up the poster, I'll bring it up now. It's going to bring it up later. But I want to explain that. Not to say it's it's the right thing, but I want to give you the context of why they did it because it's it's very stupid. But for them, they were thinking, "Oh, this is how it's going to make money." So actor uh, Dan Dere, uh or I have a I have a friend here from that family actually works in craft service. They, he pronounced it Dorea. Dorea. I, I don't know if that's correct or not, but that's how is he it really the it. same family? I think so. I mean. Wow. It would make sense, I guess, in theory. Well, but, just for yeah. your friend, we're going to call him Dan Dorea, just, just for that. Let's say Dan Dorea. Dan Dorea. Let's say well, it. So Dan Dorea apparently was known at the time. He was in a bunch of like kind of villain roles at the time, and he was known for slapping his female like counterparts in movies. That was kind of the wow. thing. Was that, yeah. What a thing to and, be known for. And, yeah, and so the marketing team, like, let's use that as the poster. So that's why the poster is is essentially Elizabeth Scott getting hit by Dan Dorea. Not great. Not a good. Not a good light. Um, again, no, not really. Not something you see nowadays, and you shouldn't see nowadays. But yeah, it's like it, it's kind of a, a really a bait and switch because like he's not the main character, and he's not like overpowering her really in any way. She is the character that's manipulating him throughout the entire movie. And the only time he has anything up on her is the scene when they first meet and he slaps her. Yeah, but then she's like, oh, I'm coming for you, dude. Oh, yeah, that's what it the is. Long she's like, gone. she's literally like, after that, she's like, okay, I'm going to kill this guy at some point dude, in this, uh, in this story. That, I want to talk about that scene later. I want to talk about that scene later because like, there's a lot to talk. There's a lot to unpack in that scene. It was just like, oh, 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 yeah. well, let, well, on that on that note, let's jump into favorite scenes. Okay. So, which one do you want to bring? You want to bring up that one first? But, but let's talk about that one first. It's on my mind. Um, <laughs> okay. That dude took a fall, bro. Like he just <laughs> he just goes down, and like it, it just it, it looks painful as hell. But yeah. it, I also like that they don't reveal. Like you can kind of see her toss something in his in his drink. Yeah. But you, they don't really focus on it. But you can tell. Like I went, yeah, yeah. I rewound it to see if you could be like, eh. But like. Yeah. Also, whatever whatever poison she bought was really strong, but I guess that just is what it is. But just very very fast acting. It's like very Game of Thronesy. But um, she's very it was Cersei. A good scene. She, she very, also she... she's very Cersei Lannister, but yeah. she also played it off really well. That's why I was like, I did not have a problem with her reactions to things at first. I was like, this is a little outlandish. The first thing I think the really the thing that threw me off was at the beginning. I was like. Oh, this is happening for sixty thousand dollars. Well, put into context. Put into context. So yeah, sixty thousand dollars. They a bag gets tossed into their their car when they're driving. Her and her husband, and it was intended for Dan Derea. Uh, Danny Fuller is his character name. It was intended for Danny Fuller, and that's the thief that she ends up like kind of getting involved with because she wants to keep the money. Her husband doesn't, and so she essentially kills her husband. And then essentially wants to kill Dan, Dan Danny Fuller for the money, and that's the scene Hunter's talking about. And the funny part is that he bought the poison to poison uh, her husband's her dead husband's sister, is what it was. Yeah, 
Shout and out she to used, that lady. And she really. used it to she used it to kill her kill him. Yeah, it was a it was quite the turn. Um, it was a lot of turns I, in the movie. A lot. There's a, a lot very, of turns. There's a, a lot of twist. turns. Very back to back to back to back to back. Like the last 25 minutes, a lot going on. There's a lot, a lot. of dull time, a lot of drawn out stuff early on, and then that last 30 minutes, they're just like and this and this and this and this and yeah. this and like I liked that because it picked up the pace a little bit. I felt like it could have been paced a little better throughout, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I didn't hate the turns or the twists that it took necessarily, especially the last like two. That's just to say, I just thought that that scene was really good. Um, yeah. But I also thought the scene where she coincidentally, the scene where she kills her husband in the yeah. boat, I also thought was great. Um, mostly cause I didn't really expect that. Like I kind of knew, but like I didn't know how it was going to go down. Um, yeah. That really sets her character apart of like what you think it's going to be. Yeah. Like she's, she's willing to kill her husband for this money that she doesn't actually have access to at the moment in time. Just like, the idea that she has access to the money. She's like worth it. Yeah, ready to exactly. Go. You're coming out of this, like again, world war two, like materialism is becoming a big thing, especially as you get into the fifties capitalist society of America. And this is kind of the dark side of it. Of like what someone might do for for like a little bit of money, but not in reality. Like I'm sure at the time, I think I looked it's, it up, and it was like somewhere just under seven hundred thousand dollars when you adjust six, for inflation. Yeah, it's six hundred fifty thousand dollars is what it is. Yeah, yeah. But in reality, like still, like, <laughs> you're gonna kill not just one guy, two for that much money, and willing to kill more essentially, kill like and her more, sister-in-law. And yeah. turns out, and turns out. You've done this before. Might have killed someone before. She might have killed someone before. Like, I it leads to, like, I don't know. She, it kind of lends itself to the fact that, like, she has a lot more going on to her than yeah. we see ever, which is hard to believe because we see her do a lot of bad things. But we see her do a lot of bad things for not that much payoff. And I mean, like, back at the time, I'm pretty sure it was, like, a lot. People have been like, yeah. hell yeah, give me that money. But at the same time, there's a lot of dead people for that much money. I don't know. Yeah, so the, yeah, the scene when she kills Danny Danny Fuller's character, uh, or the character Danny Fuller, I love. There's great dialogue in this scene, or in this movie, by the way. And there's this in that scene, he's like, um, "Don't ever change. I wouldn't like you with a heart," is what he says to her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's the matter? I'm worried. I don't get it. The money's in that bag, Danny. We're leaving for Mexico with it. Like I say, I don't get it. Why we? I need you. A woman traveling alone would attract too much attention. And I've got to know about that money, where it came from. That's better. Don't ever change, Tiger. I don't think I'd like you with a heart. Open the bag, Danny. It's all ours. Let's have a drink. In a minute, Danny. But first of all, I've got to know where the money came from and if we can use it safely. There should be 60 grand in there, Tiger. 60 grand. I gotta have a drink. Wait, Danny. Somebody threw that money into our car. Why? Because you don't go into a guy's office in a blackmail payoff, sweet. And besides, he didn't know what I looked like. And I wanted to keep it that way. But, but who is it? Why do Never you... mind who it is, Tiger. But it's the kind of a thing you come across only once in a lifetime. Now, there's some really good, like, biting, just, like, quick noir quips that are in there. There's a lot of uh, very, like, stereotypical noir lines. Like, something you, you would see in, like, someone trying to make, like, uh, like, a riff on a noir. 
It's like they riff these lines sometimes. It was like, oh, you're in the record now, lady. I was just like, oh, man. That's yeah, he does say that. You're in the racket now. You're in the racket now. I was like, oh, man. Uh, yeah, and the, thing too, the, the femme fatale, usually a femme fatale is using her, I guess, sexuality to manipulate men. And, and she does that a lot in this movie. Again, a line that she does that is when she, when he comes over, the thief comes over, and she's like, housewives can be awful bored sometimes. Basically oh, saying, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm totally down. Let's do this. My husband's not here. If you want to have sex to to forget the money, let's do it. I'm totally in. Yeah, it was. Um, there's a lot for the time, especially. It's weird, like, because it's very it's it's subtle, but also not subtle when looking at it in like a, a like the context of nowadays. Like the yeah. housewives can be bored sometimes, awfully bored, and she does it with the very like grin uh, while saying it, which you, which you get what it means. Yeah. You're not you're not confused. You're like, oh, she's bad news. But yeah, it's like I love that she's. I mean, she's all she's manipulating men throughout the movie, even to the point of like she's trying to manipulate manipulate like the guy at the train station to pick up the bag, where he's yeah. like, she goes, oh, I'll give you five dollars and I'll even let you spend it on me if you want to. Like it's very like, sh- and and so it depends on either the men are like her husband who don't fall for it and end up being killed. Or it's like uh, Dan DeForest's character, Don Blake, who understands who she is and he's not going to fall for it either. But then again, why I think Danny Fuller is such a, uh, a, I don't say fun character, but a complex character, is that he is starts off as this tough guy and then by the end is like a, a drunken mess. And He's a victim, dude. Yeah, like he, reali- he realizes... He is in over his head. But at that point, it's too late. He's yeah. already like, he's he's donezo at that point. And he think he knows it. The other thing that I think this movie does a good job is they do a really great job of informing you kind of in, in not a very on-the-nose way mm-hmm. that this lady 100% has done this a lot before. She's like yeah. seasoned in it. And they don't really come out and tell you that. But you pick up on it more and more as the movie goes on, and I thought that was a really they did a great job of that. Um, and I'm not sure how much of that, if it's based on a book, how much of like they cut out to make it not so apparent that she kind of was like that. Yeah. But uh, kudos to them for that. I thought that was really well done. Maybe it's time to clear out, jog it up to experience. We can't. We've got to stay here until we find that ticket. You mean stay here till she tells her story to the cops? Is that it? She's not going to tell her story. You're going to help me again, Danny. Help you do what? You've got no other choice. We can't just wait and let her kill us. I didn't mean to kill Alan, but it's done. And now it's our lives against hers. We kill her, huh? Do you really think you can get away with that? Yes. Kathy was all wrapped up in Alan. She missed work today. She's what the papers will call despondent. She... She's going to take poison because of it. You're going to get it for me. Sorry, Mrs. Palmer. I'd rather take my chances. You don't think I want to do it? I couldn't kill Alan. I tried to convince myself I could kill him, but when the time came, I couldn't do it. How did he die? Pneumonia? It was an accident. He opened my purse and the gun fell out. I don't know what happened after that. I killed it. But I didn't know it then. I'm not going to die for it. We've got to do it, Danny. We've got no other choice. Get me something. Danny, you know how to get it. I'll do the rest. 
We can't put it off. You are a tiger. You got me in so deep I can't get out. I'll get the stuff for you, but like you say, you gotta do the rest. Every bit of it. It's a very layered plot. Like, take away kind of the, I think, the very kind of cheap sets they have and yeah. all that. But it's a, it's a very, like, make a, a few tweaks to make it more modern. It's a possible, like, modern day plot if you really wanted to, like, try it. But yeah, it's like, I love the, I mean, let's see, what other scenes do I have on here? I mean, the, one of the scenes I like, too, is the ending when Blake reveals, because the character oh, of Don yeah. Blake is, like, shows up, says that he was a, uh, fought in World War II with her husband, who's missing, who is dead, but he said, oh, yeah, I fought with him in the war, and she doesn't believe him. Another good scene is when, when they're kind of, ha- they're, they're first seen together, when, like, you know what, what her game plan is, but you don't know, like, who he is. So they're yeah. each trying to play off each other. She goes, oh, where were you stationed at again? I can't remember what it was because she's trying to set up and see if he's going to lie. And they're constantly going back and forth. Yeah, cat and mouse game. Yeah. What did Alan usually call you, Mr. Blake? Don. When there were ladies present. <laughs> <laughs> Which wasn't often, I hope. What squadron were you flying with? The same as Alan's, Mrs. Palmer. Wouldn't you rather call me Jane? All right. Would you like a drink? Well, I didn't think it was that noticeable. What? The thirsty look. <laughs> Come on, let me help. Well, let me watch. Where were you stationed in England? Don't you know? Of course. I keep forgetting. Stonehurst or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. Ipswich. I didn't know we had any operations at Stonehurst. Well, all those places in England used to sound alike to me. I seem to worry you, Mrs. Palmer. Why? Why do you say that? Oh, I don't know. I, I sense a third degree quality in this conversation. Could I be wrong? Yes, you're wrong. I'm just curious about you, Mr. Blake. No, you don't worry me. But it's possible you're beginning to intrigue me. Oh, let's wait till we're sure Al isn't coming back, hmm? You made quite a bit out of that remark of mine, didn't you? Well, I didn't think I made any more out of it than I found there. And that's a good scene where you kind of have that cat and, mouse game, cat and mouse game, but then you find out, no, he's actually the brother of her other dead husband. Yeah, and the he, one who committed he, a suicide, quote unquote. Yeah, and he wants to find out what she's doing. He thinks she's like up to no good again. Is kind of the thing. But It'd yeah, that correct. scene when he kind of when he lays everything out is pretty good. Right at the very end, right before the yeah, where she gets raided. Yeah. I like that scene a lot. And I also love the twist that she was re- he was really with the sister. Yeah. On the honeymoon. Be, yeah. Or, yeah. I was just like, interesting. Fascinating. What a twist. That wasn't necessary, but like good for them. I don't know. It was uh it wasn't necessary, but I didn't mind it. Yeah. It kind of made her character make a little more sense. Like they were all kind of in on it, trying to bring her down. What do you mean? What are you trying to say? I'm trying to tell you, Jane, you're all washed up. You can't take my money and you're not. The law? No. No, just someone who couldn't let you get away with it, Jane. A killjoy. Here it is. You want it, don't you? It's yours. All you have to do is take it. You can't see it, Mrs. Palmer, but I'm riding a big white horse. 
This is a vendetta. But it's over now. Please page Teniente Rivera. He's in the lobby. Rivera, I'm in her apartment. She has the money here, all of it. Yes. Right away. You'll have to forgive me, Jane, but I made formal charges that you stole that money from me. Now, you can sue me later for false arrest, but I had to figure some way of keeping you in town till the L.A. police get here. Why, Mr. Blake? Tell me why. Not Blake, Blanchard. Does it mean anything to you? I... I once married a man named Blanchard. Yes, my brother. I was overseas when it happened, but I never really believed Bob killed himself. You killed him. I swear I didn't kill him. He found out I didn't love him and he killed himself. I swear it. I swear I didn't kill him. I have a really hard time with the, the first hour. Getting into I'm it. I won't lie. Getting into it was hard. But the last 30 minutes, the pace is so fast. I was just like, what is happening? Everything is changing. Who are all these people? Oh, okay. 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 Wow. <laughs> it was good. I liked it. I liked the, uh, it ended in a, in a way that I thought worked. I think it does. I think it does. I mean, it's very much the time where like, with the things like the Hayes Code, a production code at the time, where like the the bad guy has to get their comeuppance, and well, she got the comeuppance. Yeah, it's a great. There's a great shot. I don't know how it appears in the Amazon Prime version, but it's a great like wide shot of like when her body's like on the ground with like the money surrounding her because she's fallen over the balcony with all the money like from the bag. That wasn't an Amazon Prime version. <laughs> and it just they, it was just batch. Yeah, at black. the end, at the end, Don Blake and the his new uh, bride. Just sort of like, are you ready to go? Let's go. <laughs> the end. It was just like, eh, okay. she's dead. Not really a scene. Well, there's one scene I have of um, Arthur Kennedy who plays her husband. It's when he confronts her. He, wa he warns her about the money when he finds out that she's been like spending it, even though they don't actually have it because they put it in like a at the train station in a locker. Yeah, with a, she, yeah, with a locker where they checked it in. They can't yeah. have access to any of the money if she's blowing through and she's their still cash. <laughs> And he's just like, how much you spend yesterday? How much you spend today? Like, how much have you spent in total? And he's just like, this is not going to be good for you. Like, you're, it's just like, this is going to be the end of us if you keep doing this. And she's like, I guess I got to kill him now. She's like, oh, <laughs> like that's what you called. You called my bluff. If only yeah. you had not cared about my shopping habits. But Simmons called me from the bank today. It seems as if your checks have started coming through. He thought I might like to know that our account's not a couple hundred dollars. I was going to tell you tonight. There were things I needed, Alan. $580 worth of necessities? That was yesterday. How much today? How much have you spent altogether? $790. About one-tenth of one percent of the money we have. So you're counting the money in the bag. We aren't going to touch it. Just leave it there and forget about it. Now you're spending it like mad and keeping books on it. Because the money's ours. If anyone knew we had it, they would have been around by now. I'm sending the claim check to the district attorney's office right now, tonight. Don't I have something to say about that? I won't let you do it. I'll take the money and go off by myself before I let you give it away. And that's something I won't let you do. I'm in this now. If you're caught, I'm caught. But I wouldn't want you to do it anyway, Jane. The money won't buy anything. It'll only make you miserable and unhappy. Let me be the judge of that. Were you happy when you married Blanchard? I'm sorry, Jane. I, I didn't mean that. Jane, Jane, what's happening to us? What's happening? The money sits down there in an old leather bag, and yet it's tearing us apart. It's poison, Jane. It's changing you. It's changing both of us. I wish it were that simple, Alan. But I haven't changed. It's the way I am. Anyways, you want to go on a boat ride?
yeah, like, well, she, well, he says like, hey, let's go on our like all the things we did on our first date, and so that's, and then she's like, oh, cool, this is a great time. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill him on the boat, and then like put a weight to his feet till he sinks to the bottom of the lake, and no one's gonna find him. It's very like it's. Again, you talked about the scene of like when when she kills the husband. I also like the scene when Danny Fuller comes up and like realizes that she killed her husband. He's like, I don't want any part of this. Like, I'm just like a a, a nickel and dime thief that like wants to make a quick the quick buck or whatever. Yeah, I'm not in the rack. Yeah, I'm not in the racket of killing people here. She's calculated, dude. She's the kind of person that probably was like, I'm gonna take this dude on a first date on this boat. So one day, if I need to kill him, I'll just bring him back out here. <laughs> Like that's the level of of like psychotic she is, but you don't realize that for a while. No, you don't. What happened? It's Alan, my husband. He's dead. Don't move, Danny. So that's what I heard. A shot, not a backfire. Yes, and I need your help. Some other time. I don't want the money that bad. Do you take me back to shore? Or do I swim? If you move, I'll shoot you and tell them you killed my husband. I go along with you, I get the gas chamber. I wonder how good a shot you are. There'll be no gas chamber for either one of us, Danny. They saw me get on this boat with my husband. They're going to see me get off with him. He'll be wearing his hat and coat. You've got nothing to worry about. Until his body comes floating up. We're going to see that it doesn't. You're quite a gal. Mrs. Palmer. Any other favorite scenes? Do you have any more favorite scenes you want to bring up? I did. I, so let's sh- talk about the Mulholland, the very beginning. The Mulholland drive stuff. <laughs> Dude, they oh, yeah, accurately the, the, the depict chase. how crazy yeah. and scary it is to drive up there. <laughs> I was like, yep, I believe it. That's totally going to happen there. And like, I've been up there twice. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. A pretty, it's it's, it's scary. a pretty good car chase. It's a pretty good car chase to have. Yeah. When they're, when they're, I don't know how you see in the prime version, but like, it's pretty good. Like it's pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good little sequence they have at the beginning. It's a good start of a movie. It just hops right into the plot of yeah, I money, like that m- bag of money gets tossed in the car. What's going to happen next? Moving on to on set life again. Couldn't find anything about the actual making of the film for research. Um, again, because the film has kind of been forgotten. I will say that they shot mostly on cheap sets because of the low budget of the film, I and mean, occasionally you'll see shots of L.A. Uh, but the aftermath is a big one. It's going to be just as long as the brief history <laughs> Let's hear of, it, Brandon. of what happened to everyone involved in this movie and the movie itself. So the film was released on August 13th, 1949. And even though it had two pretty big faces with Elizabeth Scott and Dorea, uh, Too Late for Tears tanked the box office. Wow. It would essentially be the end of producer Hunt Stromberg's career, who would only make two more movies as a producer uh, after before retiring in 1951 at this point however he was already kind of independently wealthy because he was a founding investor in hollywood park racetracks and santa anita park two of the biggest racetracks in all of southern california and are still around today director byron haskin would follow up too late for tears a year later in 1950 by directing walt disney's adaptation of the popular novel treasure island wow which is a big jump from that this movie jump, dude. this movie good for to, that guy to, though you know what it was dude it was it was the 
It was the um, projection stuff, Word, man. Projection. So uh, later after you innovative, you can go a long yeah. way with innovative. So after that, he did a lot of like westerns and kind of like swash, but like kind of these sea adventure films, I believe. So I think that he he became a much like a large scale director, and this is kind of his last one of his like early and last uh, like small like crime crime noir. So on to screenwriter Roy Huggins, who was also the author of some big stories here. Huggins was upset with the adaptation of his work, even though he wrote the final draft of the script. He was not happy with Haskins' direction of the film, feeling he missed the Los Angeles flavor that was present in his original novel. So three years after Too Late for Tears, Roy Huggins appeared in front of the House of Un-American Activities Committee. This is the third straight episode where this event comes into play with someone involved in the film we're covering. Huggins was actually a member of the Communist Party at one point, but he left, he later left, I think he was only there, only in the party briefly. He left after the Nazi-Soviet Non-Aggression Pact of 1939, which was where Soviet Union and Germany agreed to invade Poland and divide the two countries, divide the Poland land amongst Soviet Union and Germany. Um, when he, when Huggins was called in front of the HUAC, Huggins named 19 people who had already been named in front of the committee. And this was usually kind of an easy cop out by many people at the time, because by naming people, uh, that had already been named, they weren't hurting anyone by naming anyone new, if that makes sense. But it was like saying, yeah, that so you, they weren't really ratting, but they yeah, were trying to just like ratting. weasel their way out. They're still ratting, but it's like stuff already people knew. Yeah. They're not bringing anything new to the table. Still uh, so, so after Too Late for Tears, Huggins would have a, a pretty phenomenal career in the early days of television, especially for someone who was at one point a literal member of the Communist Party in Hollywood. Um, Huggins wrote and created such television shows as Maverick, wow. 77 Sunset Strip, and The Fugitive. Wow. Uh, he also co-created co The Rockford Files. Huggins would also later become famous in the industry for for gaining more creative rights for his works as a writer. So some crazy stories here. Uh, for Maverick and 77 Sunset, Sunset Strip, producer Jack Warner of Warner Brothers pulled off a few tricks to make sure Higgins did not gain control of like the residuals that he would get for his show. So for, for 77 Sunset, Sunset Strip, he ran the first episode, the pilot episode, in a theater in the Caribbean, which allowed him to establish the show as an adaptation of a film and not a show created for television. Wow. So basically taking away uh, Huggins' rights to get residuals for the show. Because if you write the if you write or create the first episode of a show, like you're gonna get residuals for the rest of the show's run. Yeah, that still persists to this day. Yeah, yeah, well, so he's a big reason why that happens. So, That's crazy. So, uh, and for Maverick, Warner's also showed Huggins' written pilot as the second episode on air, which cut him out of creator credits because he wasn't the first produced, uh, first aired episode of the show. That's some real old school Hollywood <laughs> trickery. That's very much That's so. crazy. Like, that, yeah. that happens today, but you don't hear about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's nuts. And so after these two instances, Huggins left Warner Brothers and demanded more control over his properties. He wanted to be able to develop a show, and if it was produced, he would still receive residuals for the show. If it continued to run, he no longer worked for it, even if he didn't produce it himself. If he created it, 
he was going to get money for it. This became known within Hollywood at the time as the Huggins contract. He would first use it in the, te- in the 1960s television show, The Fugitive, which gave him a credit and, and residuals for the film, which essentially allowed him to be a part of the money-making process when the film was adapted in 1993 and the Harrison Ford film and Tommy Lee Jones. So that is insane. That is insane. <laughs> so it's like he's smartly, he's he smartly, he's smartly like, he's a smart communist, <laughs> but he's still a communist. He was, he's a capitalist at the end of the day. Um, yeah, honestly, he must've just been like, yo, I can make a lot more money when I'm not communist. <laughs> so he was that, ready. Yeah, That's a genius. That good on that guy. For set, figuring him, that out. set him up for like 30 years later of like, Hey, we want to remake this. Cool. Well, we have to go through this guy and he, cause he created the show. He can trust. So like nowadays that's, that's, that feels very common. Like yeah, it is. it's a very, very, common very common practice. That's and very common practice. But is this where it started? That's the first of, time yeah. this ever happened. That's, that's crazy. That's what I'm researching. Who would have thought? That, <laughs> that's pretty standard fare though. Now yeah. like that, is, you'd, there's a hard press to find IP. That's not that way now. Yeah. And that's why like when you see big time directors directing a TV show, they direct the pilot because they direct the pilot. Yeah. They get residuals for the rest of time as if it continues to run or end syndication or on streaming. And essentially, people tried to find ways to get around that. So that so they didn't. So producers found tried to find a way to get around it so they didn't pay the writers. And now it's kind of common practice. So yeah, yeah. good on Roy Huggins. So on Elizabeth Scott, this is a big one. Scott this only is ma- a big one. Scott only made twenty two films during her career, and apparently, Too Late for Tears was one of her least favorites. She didn't like it because she played the villain. She retired from full-time acting in 1957 with the Elvis Presley film, Loving You. She would occasionally make a a few television appearances in the 1960s. Uh, It seems she was liked by fans at the time, but critics saw her as a Lauren Bacall ripoff because of her smoky, raspy voice and her style. I mean, I kind of see that, but at the same time, like you can't just claim that territory all yourself. Yeah, so it wouldn't be until the late night or to the 1980s when noir had a resurgence that people began to reevaluate Scott and her films. Uh, but the big story is about something that happened in the early 1950s. Uh, there was this magazine at the time, or, or uh, gossip rag as they called it, called Confidential, which covered Hollywood gossip. If you've seen the film LA Confidential, the character Danny DeVito plays runs a magazine called Hush Hush, which reveals the secrets of Hollywood actors and actresses. And I believe. LA Confidential gets its name from this magazine. Um, it was run by this guy named Robert Harrison, and I believe a, a writer who did the story, uh, Howard Rushmore, was an ex-communist who was a very like um, uh, Joseph McCarthy sympathizer who helped kind of reveal people were communist. Uh, essentially, the story that they ran and wrote was claiming that Elizabeth Scott was a lesbian, and Confidential had this deal with with people that if they would send you the story before it was published and they would allow you to buy the story back. So if an actor or actress took the offer, they'd buy the story. It wouldn't be printed. Their secret was safe. If they didn't buy it, it would be printed and could possibly ruin their career if it was true. Scott decided to do something else. She decided to sue the magazine. Uh, and the trial occurred in the summer of 1957. It included over 200 actors many of whom fled California after receiving subpoenas during the trial. Uh, one of the magazine's former wow. writers, Howard... Yeah, one of the magazine's former writers, Howard Rushmore, agreed to testify after he was fired from by Harrison to testify saying the magazine would knowingly publish false stories. 
It was found out the story printed about Scott was not fact-checked, meaning it could not be proven true or false. However, a mistrial was declared in October 1957 because the jury could not decide on the verdict. This is the same year Scott retired from acting full-time. That's crazy. Yeah. She decided to try her hand at singing instead. She was a singer for a brief time after this. So, yeah, it's like... I feel like if that trial happens today, I, I mean, Johnny Depp stuff going down right now is not that far off. I mean, it's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. They're, they're showing, it was basically claiming libel. Yeah. Is what it was. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was a mistrial. It's interesting. So. It was a mistrial though. That is um, kind of fascinating. Cause you'd still yeah. think like, if you can't prove something, you shouldn't be running it and trying to hold that over people's heads. At the very least, that seems wrong. And to if me. you knowingly say, that this story was not fact-checked. Yeah, we're just that, running something that could ruin your life. That means you know we didn't published, care yeah. to fact-check it. You know only published that it could be false. So yeah, and some people credit this as like, there was a lot of questions about her sexuality and because of this case. And some say that was a reason why she retired from acting. It's not entirely clear. Um, she didn't like kind of shy away from public spaces. Like she still went out and like dated and, and were friends with people and everything. Um, I think she was friends with Michael Jackson for a, a long t- a brief time in like the eighties or something kind of random. Wow. Um, but yeah, she made a brief return in acting in 1972 with the movie pulp before fully retiring. She passed away in 2015 at the age of 92. Lived a full life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then last thing about the actual film, because that's that's the big part here. Uh, when it comes when it comes too late for tears, the film practically disappeared after the 1950s. At one point, Stromberg, to make a little bit of money, sold the rights to the film, and it was later re-released in 1955 under the name Killer Bait. That's a terrible name. <laughs> a lot of name changes with this movie. Break the Break the Wild Wind, Nothing But the Night. It then fell in the public domain, which resulted in several bad copies that were released on DVD and VHS, one of which is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Uh, in 2014, the film was finally restored by UCLA Film and Television Archive and the Film Noir Foundation. They were able to combine, this is kind of crazy, three different copies of the film, one 16mm print and two 35mm prints, one of which was found randomly in France. Wow. Uh, they apparently had to cut cut pieces from each print, sometimes within single scenes, take a shot from one print, take a shot from another print, and basically reconstruct the entire film. They also had to digitally recreate the original titles for the film because there were no original titles uh, in good condition with Too Late for Tears on the name. It was Killer Bait is what it was. Mm. So if you go watch the Canopy version, they had to basically digitally animate the credits to match what it was when it came out in the 1940s. That's fascinating. So enough on that. Uh, So what worked about this film, Hunter? I think she stuck the landing, but it was a hard plane to get off the ground. (laughs) Um, I thought the cast as a whole kind of worked for me. Um, I wasn't sure if it was going to, but it did it after a while. Um, I also think the subtlety of this movie and of the character choices worked for me. It never, mm-hmm. or the dialogue was sometimes very like on the nose. Yeah. yeah the yeah. actual action in scene, like the, the blocking of everything. Yeah. Was subtle in a, in a good way that worked for me. Yeah. It's not, it's not a very showy movie. It's not a very showy no, movie. But I like that sense. about it for something that's a little too showy with, with dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it works that it's not showy physically. I like the plot. Uh, it might be some issues with it, but I like the. I think the plot, for it being twisty, it it, it keeps you 
on your toes. Um, yeah. And, and doesn't really, I mean, it's predictable in, in terms of there's going to be a twist, but it's not really predictable in terms of like what the twists are going to be. No, I mean, you yeah. can't peg some of those towards the end. You couldn't, if you, like, you couldn't have had, even someone who, like, I don't know, older movies sometimes really easy to guess because so many things have been, like, played off of that movie. With this, like, you don't see any of that stuff coming. That's all, like, legitimate twist that you do not have any kind of inkling that is coming at all. And I like that. Yeah, like, she when she brings, uh, she brings her husband's, like, former, like, uh, war buddy to identify the guy who's claiming to be a former yeah. war buddy. And you're just like, oh, who the, and you're like, who the hell is this guy? Cause he's yeah. saying, he's saying, oh, like, okay, I didn't really know him. I'll tell you in the end what, like what this is all about. And then you find out like, oh, he's the brother of some character we never met before. And he's yeah. here to prove that she she's... called his bluff. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Um, and if you're watching a good version of the film, I do, this is keep, we keep parking on that, but like, it, there is it a is, kind of a t- you should take the time to watch the canon version. <laughs> like it's Even kind of Amazon's time- easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a good time capsule of L.A. and some of the shots they have, the nighttime stuff when you're when you're watching it. If you can get a good the good version of it, did anything not work? Um, I thought the pacing at the beginning was a little little rough. Um, she was a little annoying at the beginning, but I think it was mostly just getting used to her kind of sh- like her. She's very different. She's very stick. Yeah. She's very different. And it took me a little bit to get used to that. All in all, I don't really think there's anything. The dialogue could have used a little bit of, I think it's just a sign of the times though. Mm-hmm. Um, could have been reworked a little bit less uh, pointed mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, I also could have done without all of the uh, slapping and like threats of like, yeah, yeah weird forced sex at one point like i could have done without that that kind of threw me off um but other than that no not really i think that's that's really my major things i get some of those i want my one of my this is just a nitpick possibly the sets really bother me and this is very much of the it time didn't bother me but also couldn't see him that much because i was watching <laughs> on amazon prime it's just like i think i heard them talk about how like it's a lot of like slamming doors in a way like almost plays like kind of a, kind of a a comedy where everyone's just like walking into rooms and shutting doors and waiting in the hallways and like going back and forth so it's like that's because of the low budget i feel like that it, it's a that and i think that might be why the pace is so slow in those moments you're talking about it's Probably. a lot of just like them in rooms talking yeah, it's is what boring it is. yeah i'm like what am i supposed to be gathering from this other than like they're talking more about more boring stuff. <laughs> Nothing's happening. Let's see. I'm also, this is a, for me. I don't know if I'm a huge fan of the Don and Kathy storyline of like them falling in love as like a side subplot. I kind of felt that was strange. And like, maybe that was a book thing. They just didn't get rid of. Yeah. It just feels like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to fall in love. Oh, you lied to me. But we're going to start this relationship off with you lying to me about how the you best really relationship are. start. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just something, something about just like I, I just don't put those two actors together as like a we're gonna fall in love this quickly or whatever it's kind of like an interesting parallel to the other couple though that's fair if you think about it i mean it's a little bit of a like you know the the flip of the coin yeah a lot but a lot a lot of young women dating older guys in this movie that's the thing yeah well sadly that's still a thing in hollywood today that's fair so alternate universe casts. This is what it was supposed to be when it was a higher budget movie. Uh, it was supposed okay. to star Joan Crawford in the lead role. Okay. And Kirk Douglas as Danny Fuller, the thief. Oh yeah, I see that. And Wendell Corey, who was a big kind of character actor at the time, 
he was in like rear window and movies like that uh he was gonna play uh the husband i totally see that uh so yeah it's so kirk douglas was coming out he was he was in a lot of noir films at the time he wasn't as big as crawford was but within like a year or two he became one of the biggest stars in the 1950s so yeah so it would have been it would i feel like if you had that cast it maybe got talked about more as years went on instead of being kind of lost in the public domain like it was i think joan crawford could have had an amazing role if she would have done it yeah it would have been interesting as joan yeah. crawford. apparently she turned it down i've heard she turned it down because the pay was so low and she's like i'm not gonna do that i'm a big star which seems like a joan crawford thing but i'm not sure I mean, that makes sense i think yeah. nowadays you see it a little bit of the other way around like yeah. you see people taking these roles that are really different for less money because it is very different from what they normally do yeah um so that's interesting that that has changed. I mean, I guess it changes depending on who it is, but yeah, it, it, when you're yeah. doing a Marvel film, you'd be like, you know, I'm going to take like a, a smaller role just for fun. Yeah. Like, just, just to be involved, just to yeah, have, be yeah. there. So film facts, I told you about the whole poster stuff. Um, Arthur Kennedy, uh, who plays the husband, Alan Palmer took the role along with, he took like four other roles in 1949, uh, or they were released in 1949. To fund his return to Broadway, where he played Biff Lohman in the original production of Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman, he would win a Tony for Best Featured Actor in a Play for Death of a Salesman. So he took this movie to pay for like him to go do theater. Interesting. Yeah, he was also nominated the same year for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in a film called Champions. Kennedy, Claude Rains, and Robert Duvall share the record for most losses without a win in the best supporting actor category in at the Oscars. It's pretty good company. So he, he, uh, he's lost four, he lost four times is what it was. So story questions. Uh, did she kill her first husband is the one I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think she did. I think, well, I think you're like, at this point you're kind of like, she's too good at being too good. Like she, she's definitely she's seasoned she's been down this road before and i think she you you have that realization when she realizes she's talking to the guy's brother yeah you kind of see it on her face she's like uh like for the first time ever the whole movie someone is seeing her for exactly who she is Mm -hmm. and you can see it on her face for a split second yeah and then she's right back into that mode and like yeah she's like oh he actually she actually he did actually kill himself and his brother's like well now that i've met you (laughs) It's very kind of like terrible. It's like now I met you, I can see why he did it. It's very like kind of yeah. like an asshole yeah. thing to say. I mean, it's an asshole thing to say, but also at the same time, like now that I've met you and I've seen what you do, <laughs> I get it. I think I've, I think she killed him though, personally. I think she did too. I think I think she, being as she knew what poison to get to uh, yeah. to kill the sister, it's she'd been down that road before because that's a very. Yeah. I think that was like in some noir films, like that was the way that a lot of women would kill people in films of the 40s of like they'd poison them with arsenic or something like that is the the easy way put it in put it in their husband's drink for the night and then just kill him uh so i think yeah i guess kathy and don do get married at the end because they're on the honeymoon the how long they last how long does that relationship last i think it might they got a chance i think they got a chance They've been through. They have that shared trauma, <laughs> and you can't you can't deny can't the value that. of a shared trauma. <laughs> like yeah. they both survived that, and like they'll remember that for the rest of their lives. So they, and they, bo- and they both lost someone. Yeah, 
They both, they both lost, lost someone. A sibling, actually. Like, they yeah, both lost a sibling. I really think I really think that it it's got a chance. Okay. And like love comes from weird places, especially through traumatic experiences. That's fair. That's and fair. And as as many people's lives were torn apart in this movie, I wanna think that they got a chance. So I'm gonna give yeah. it to them. I'm gonna give it to them. For the rest of their lives. Okay. Hope it worked out. <laughs> and their so move- fictional life. <laughs> so awards. Uh, the Beatrice Strait Award, actor, actress with limited scenes that kills it. Not a lot of limited scene people. It's a lot of it's people who have like two scenes. I, I really like the boat attendant guy for some reason. I don't oh, know hell why. Yeah. The boat attendant guy was sick. <laughs> it almost feels like a weird cameo, but it's not. Yeah, it's you know just I mean? weird. Yeah, it was weird. I will say the guy had way more. It was the thief. And he, he was obviously a bigger part of this movie. Well, he, I have him. I have him for the next award. I have him for the okay, next okay, award. Okay, okay, okay. I'll, he, hold, he, I'll he, hold off on him. Yeah, I feel like someone who gets like the Beatrice Strait Award is someone who's like in the movie ten minutes or less. Then I think it's definitely the boat, uh, the boat attendant. Again. I mean, everyone else is in this movie for a while. There's for not while, really, and no one sticks out to me. But the boat attendant guy is just kind of like, I told yeah. you those those are for four people. He goes, what about now? I told you you can have the boat. It's like he's, it almost <laughs> makes you wonder if that was just what he does for a living. He's just like. They're like, just get the boat guy. I love that guy. We'll go down there and we'll do it as the boat guy. Oh, apparently, let's see. I looked at his, let me find his name. Billy Hallop is the boat attendant. He was uncredited in this movie. Weirdly, he worked con- like consistently. His first appearance in the movie was 1937. He was in On the Family. Wow. For ten- so he worked from 37 to 1976. Wow, good for the boat attendant and just, guy. And just like a bunch of like TV show, he was like the bartender in a lot and like shows like Gunsmoke. He was always the attendant. Oh, man. He was either a bartender or an attendant. It looks like it. Someone watched this movie and was like, "That's my guy. <laughs> That's my guy right there." <laughs> so let's just keep. Yeah, he man, he did a lot of TV in the fifties and sixties. Like you just you find your great. stick, man. You can run yeah. with it. You can run with it. And make a pretty good living that way. Good for him. Yeah, it's like. This was, I think this might have been one of his last movies or one of, yeah, one of his last few movies before he just hopped right on the TV shows. I think he just made like, he was elevator operator in another movie. Man, it's just a guy who just like has the blue collar jobs and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Billy Hallop. I'm getting, we're giving it to you, buddy. The Beatrice Strait Award. Slow clap. Waiting for a boat, mister? Well, not right now, but I would like to ask you a couple of questions. Look, I don't know what makes him run, mister. I ain't no good with motors. Well, maybe you're good at faces. Remember the last time you saw him? Yeah, I've seen him. But I'll be darned if I remember when. Maybe this will help. Yeah. Last night. They was here last night. Hey, you a cop? Do I look like one? i never seen any you did. I just happened to be a friend of his. And he, uh, disappeared last night. Do you remember anything about them, how they behaved? Or if they were quarreling or anything? Uh, they acted like any corny people. There you are, buddy. Thanks very much. Are you sure there isn't anything else you can tell us? Yeah, they were pretty fast with a buck, too. He gave me one to get one of the big boats, and when they come back, she get... Yeah, I just thought of something. She paid. He helped her out of the boat, real polite, right? And he goes upstairs, and she goes over there and pays. Hmm. Some guy. Well, they're married, you know. Oh, that explains everything. The Annie Potts X Factor Award, supporting actor, actress that is the most memorable. 
It's the thief. D- Honestly, dude, I knew it was him. I knew I, I was like, that's who I'm giving that award to. When he took that fall, when he got poisoned, it was like that guy just gave the best soccer flop of all time. It's probably it's he hit best, hard, yeah, dog. It's, <laughs> I think it's his best scene in that movie. I think it's just like when that's when he realizes He's like this game's over, and then you get that that glimmer of hope when she shows up with the money. And he's like, "Oh my God, this is finally gonna happen!" Like he falls for it. He yeah, falls he lets for his guard it. down. Yeah, he fi- he like fully fine. He finally fully lets his guard down. He was always like doubting her throughout. Always kind of like questioning what her motives were. And then when he sees the money, he lets it down, thinks it's over, and then bam, he's dead. All of his different realizations and like the roller coaster of his emotions in that yeah. scene were great. I stumbled onto a rat, a big man in town. Three floors of mahogany in the Monarch building. Big insurance agent. Sells policies on bridges and aqueducts and stuff. Who ever heard of anything happening to a bridge? So the policies never went back to New York. They're just pieces of paper my benefactor's been collecting premiums on for years. I cut me a slice of last year's premiums. That's it. Then... Then the money isn't marked. We can spend it. You said it, Tiger. Now, let's have that drink. Wait, Danny. We'll make it a toast. I'll get some glasses. They're right there on the sink. Here's to crime. It pays. And pays. The Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie to the finish line. Mm, I think it's, I mean, it's hard not to give it to her. Yeah, I think it's Elizabeth Scott. It's hard. Down. I mean, it's it's yeah. I mean, it's who, who else do you do? Who else do you give it there's to? There's no one like, else. There's no one else I could give it to. It, the bag <laughs> of money. I mean, like I, I don't know. Like that's sixty G. That's that's who it is. No, she's great. I mean, like even though I had t- problems with her early on, I think it was really just an adjustment thing, getting yeah, yeah. used to it, getting into it, and a pacing problem. Um, but no, she carries the movie, especially towards the end. I mean, like she's she's all over the place. Yeah. I thought she did a really good job. She she um for a role that was very different, I thought she did it pretty damn well. And I've seen a couple of other films. She's very much a a, a noir queen in a way. She's able to kind of tackle multiple roles uh, or d- different stuff. And because it's such like a a housewife femme fatale, it's so unique for the genre. And I think she handles it perfectly. You've got to let me keep that money. Don't don't you? No, Alan. I won't let you just give it away. Chances like this are never offered twice. This is it. I've been waiting for it, dreaming of it all my life, even when I was a kid. And it wasn't because we were poor, not hungry poor at least. I suppose, in a way, it was far worse. We were white-collar poor, middle-class poor, the kind of people who can't quite keep up with the Joneses and die a little every day because they can't. That's why I married Blanchard. I married the first man who asked me because I I thought he had money. It's, It's true, Ellie, and you're right. I wasn't happy. I was almost glad when Jane. But things have changed now, Ellen. This is different. We'll be happier than we ever dreamed we could be. Final questions. If this film was remade today, who do you cast? I'm gonna go with the big the top three. I don't really want to get into the The Don and the Kathy. I got Don you, and yeah. Kathy thing. Yeah, Danny um, Allen and Jan. Yeah. Jane. The husband. Yeah, yeah. Alan, is yeah. Army Hammer for sure. I just think he would be perfect okay. for this. Okay. I think I think he'd be perfect because you'd be like you'd be like ah oh, there's just a guy and then he's dead. I can't. Like I would that. love that. I would love that. It's different for him. 
I think. Um, but also not that different for him. Yeah. But like, it would just kind of throw you off when you're watching it. Yeah. Um, for her, Emma uh-huh. Stone, for sure. I thought okay. Emma Stone. The, it's the, the raspy voice. That's okay. The, like the charm you can turn on. You could be that like next level housewife, but like deep down, like there's a lot of dark stuff going on here. Yeah. Um, I could also see, I could also see like Scarlett Johansson. Okay. In that role. I have, um, I have, a, I have a weird pick for that one. Who? I have, I have Kristen Stewart. I could see it, but I don't know if I could see her doing she might, the housewife she, stuff as that's fair. well. She might be, yeah, and she might have, to, and I don't know if you do this like as a modern telling or like a period piece. She might be too modern if you're doing a... Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, maybe. but but I think just like the voice, yeah, she she's played like period pieces before. Uh, like I think she did Cafe Society, but something mm-hmm. about, I guess it was like I was going with the voice because Kristen Stewart has a very, I think, unique voice at least to, in my in my opinion uh, i don't disagree with that i think emma stone though you could make the same argument you could you could i think she, you could make yeah. the same argument but kristen stewart's not a bad choice by any yeah. stretch of the yeah means. stone's an interesting pick for that i like that uh danny fuller the thief who do you have okay so i was torn between casey affleck okay because i thought he's kind of like that likable douche you know what i mean uh-huh. like he's like he's kind of he's kind of the embodiment of that like uh Rough around the edges, like kind of only in it for one thing, mm-hmm. uh, in over his head, kind of like doofus in a, in a way. Not yeah. doofus, maybe not like that's not the right word, but um, just like in over his head, kind of crook. Yeah. Uh, but I also thought, um, maybe not now, but like a slightly younger Jeremy Renner would have been solid okay. in that role. Like um, between somewhere between now, like I don't know, maybe when he first did Hawkeye. Or like mm-hmm. right before he did Hawkeye, I think that he could have done a pretty good job. Coming after Hurt Locker, that's that's okay. yeah. I, I, I think like right Ritter. after Hurt Locker, he could have been. I think you start to get into an age difference thing that would have yeah. been a little weird. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think he would have been solid in that role. I got two guys here. I got two. Uh, one of them, in, again, both off the wall picks for me. I think uh, Ben Foster. Okay, he might I be, see that. I he might be, about that. He might be too tough, but I feel like that's because we've. We've seen Ben Foster in such tough guy roles nowadays, like yeah. Hell or High Water. But you I think he, up a little bit. Though. I think you can. I think he can play it down. I think he can play it down and be the guy, kind of guy who's in over his head. Um, another one, also really off the wall, not as big as the names we talked about, but Jack Quaid has oh. an interesting look. He's got an interesting look. I don't, yeah, I can see him as the husband. Okay, more than anything, he's a little too innocent. That's fair. He looks like a little deer in the headlights. <laughs> but Danny is also kind of the guy where like, maybe he is like, like he's putting on a front that he's tough. That's the whole character that he's putting on a front that he's tough when he's really like, I would raise you. I see. I see your Jack Wade. I would raise you. Um, I would raise you Scoot McNary. Okay. I would raise you Scoot McNary. Like maybe see, not oh, a, like a greasy, pick. not, that's not a like a greasy. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. he's a really good job at being kind of, kind of dirty. Like he's kind of the perfect like not to I think he's a great actor. I think he's a great performer. But he nails that role. Like he did that I think he did that in Un, uh Godless. Yeah, on yeah Netflix. I, think, I think he doesn't killing them softly a little bit as well. He does. The, he yeah, doesn't yeah. killing them softly. Yeah. Mostly because he's just in over his head. He plays that yeah. same in over his head, like yeah. knows he's in over his head, trying to get out character. Yeah. And um I like that pick. I think he if you clean him up a little bit, he's perfect for that role. And he can nail that accent too. 
I think he'd be great. I, t- I, re- I take back my pick and I say Scoot McNary. <laughs> Scoot McNary. Double down Scoot McNary. I like it. I like that. Uh, does this film fit with any other genres? I mean, not, I mean, it, I mean it's a, it's a crime so. film, uh, which is it's sometimes considered a noir film. I mean, it's, it's not really a specific film, but it's like. I mean, I think it's kind of like, it's like as noir as noir could give. Yeah. The film fatality, it falls very heavy handedly into the you know the tropes of noir films to the point Very where it's so. almost like that's just what it is yeah my opinion it, it's 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 a, it's the death of the american dream no it's the dark side of the american dream before the 50s when or it's like right when people are moving to the suburbs and everything uh and the and money these, is the root of all evil well yeah m- money is the root of all evil for sure uh it's a movie about creed um and that kind of answers the question about communism how does this film fit how's the film fit within the film noir genre i mean the femme fatale it hits it hits all the nails right on the head i think i mean it's kind of like it pulls the tropes that you'd think about when you think about noir films and it uses them all very very well and very prominently yeah no very much it's as noir as you get yeah I mean, yeah, you have you have so you have the femme fatale. You have your MacGuffin of the the bag of money that everyone's trying to find and chase mm-hmm. down. But in the end, doesn't really mean anything to the story. It's just that's the thing that everyone's after. It's what motivates them. Uh, the urban setting you have that with it being in L.A. It's you, again, you kind of have this post World War II like like cloud looming over everyone, where where every like everyone fought in the, all the men kind of fought in the wars. What it was. And they're coming home. It's a few years after coming home or whatever. And in some cases, like Arthur Kennedy and Elizabeth Scott, it's this the new couple who's trying to like start a new life together. And then she kills him. But yeah, I, I think that's all we have on Too Late for Tears. I mean, Hunter, thank you for watching it. I enjoyed it, man. Even if it was the Amazon Prime version, I still enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like if the only way you have to watch is Amazon Prime, still worth a watch. I think. I think it's um, definitely worth a watch. It was solid movie yeah it's it's a good little fine i think i don't know i think i heard about it i heard about when they did the restoration or it was on t they showed it on tcm a few years or a year or two ago and that's how i caught it and so it's 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 kind of it got me in elizabeth scott I, i'm slowly like trying to go through her filmography uh because she's kind of a a uh pillar of the film noir genre of the era we can see why um and not not one that she usually not usually talked about in terms of the 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 a-level people she's kind of the the people who really are deep into noir or like lisbeth scott someone to watch um but yeah that's all we have for you on this episode if you haven't already make sure you subscribe to the nation podcast on apple podcast spotify stitcher or wherever you get your podcast and be sure to leave us a review on whatever platform you're on and if you listen to the show and haven't written us a review, we truly appreciate it if you did. We'd like to see those uh, five-star reviews coming in if you can. And if you haven't already, make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure you watch a lot of film noir in celebration of November. Next week, Thomas is back, and we'll be talking about the life and career of Fritz Lang. So if you can find them, go and watch them. We're talking about films like The Big Heat, Clash by Night, M, a bunch of the his early stuff and his American noir films that he did. So Hunter... Thank you for joining me today again. Coming back on. It's been a pleasure, man. It's always a pleasure. Have fun next week with uh, little rascal Thomas Orton. Oh, it's going to be great. And uh, everyone, please listen to this episode so I get brought back again. <laughs> I'm loving it. It's been fun. It's always a pleasure, dude. Have a great time. Thank you all for listening. Hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. <laughs>